0: wanna start off by saying thank you for letting me come join you and, and share the pulpit uh, with you this morning in God's word for you this morning. Um, my family's over there, and so that's why I wasn't up here earlier, and uh, we, we invite you to come greet us afterwards. Uh, I'll share a little bit about them more, probably actually next week than this week, um, when they're not here, so she can't find me for talking about her or them. Uh, But, um, you know, I was listening to Chris's sermons the last couple weeks, and um, he mentioned this little part on on how we we, uh, as friends are a work of reconciliation because he's from um, Sacramento and the the northern part of of California. I'm from Southern California, and and, and we can still manage to get along, but I want to set something straight here. For us Southern Californians, really, California ends right about Santa Barbara. And so if Chris tells you he's from California, you can say he's worked in California, but he's not really Californian as far as us Southern Californians believe. Just so you know, I want to clear that up. Um, But that ties a little bit into the scripture reading we're going to hear this morning because we know that uh, maybe even back in Jesus' time, uh, when Jesus was up in Galilee, up in Nazareth, his hometown, um, a lot of the Jewish people didn't really believe that... um, that was part of their kingdom as well. That was just, oh, those northerners up there. Uh, what good can happen or what good could come from there? Yeah, Jesus in his hometown from the northern part of the, um, the, the kingdom, um, the Jewish people shares his words to us. And so here now God's words to us um, again from Luke. And I'm going to start maybe two verses before what Chris has, has been at. Jesus returned to Galilee in the north in the power of the spirit and news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went to the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant, and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He he, He began by saying to them, today, The scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And hear now a verse also from 1 John. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God abide in that person? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you join me in prayer? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable unto you, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. So I've been told that as a church you're in a a, a period where we're talking about being sent. And we've heard this Luke passage for the last three weeks. And this is the fourth reading of this Luke passage. And um, in it, being sent by Jesus and his words. And there's been three pieces I've been told. The first one is about proclaiming the good news. Proclamation. How do we just talk about our faith with other people? Uh, And then I believe last week, uh, Chris preached a little bit about protecting the most vulnerable people. And that defending the widows and the orphans. That's what pure religion is. And finally, the third piece that Chris wanted uh, to, uh, us to focus as, as a church, uh, was that we might provide for the needy, the hurting, the broken. And so I get to share a little bit about that. And uh, the, the question is, why is it so important that we have all three of these things? And so um, I think it's a little bit natural. And I, I read that, that, that um, the, the one verse out of 1 John that said, you know, if you have material possessions uh, that, that could help someone, and you don't have any pity on that person, then are we really sitting with, in God's love? And there's this natural disconnect, and I think we understand that. And in our mission, we understand that. We might have some great news to share. We might, do, might want to um, bring about some great social change that's needed for God's kingdom in this world. But if we don't help our fellow brother or sister our fellow man. Then there's a bit of a disconnect and we see it in lots of different places. Now um, I heard a story back when I was in high school. I was part of Fellowship of Christian Athletes and I had this cool little Bible which had these little testimonies and little stories from different Christians who are prominent in the sports world and um, I wish I still had it and I actually just packed it away in a box and so um, and I couldn't get to it. Um, But there's a story about this NFL lineman um, who, who everyone knew he was a Christian, uh, and he would sit there, and I, I believe he was a tackle uh, playing football. And while he was there, on there, he, he would literally witness uh, to the defensive lineman and whoever came his way, and said, "Hey, while we're down here, let me tell you about Jesus." And say, did you know that Jesus could do this for you? And would start telling his testimony what Jesus has done for him. And there's a story that that once a defensive end finally, like at the end of this play turned to him and grabbed and said, are you serious? You're telling me about Jesus while you're holding me? (laughs) There is this disconnect. You know, if you're a Christian, you shouldn't be holding me. They should be throwing a a penalty flag at you. You know, there's a lot of other times where there's just this disconnect sometimes between what we're saying and what we're doing. And in this, there's a lot of times where, um, where, where we have these moments where people look at us, the church, or look at us as Christians and say, are you serious? And there's even times where I think Jesus' disciples turned to Jesus and asked the same question and said, are you serious? Wanted to share one of the stories of probably this conversation happening. Um, Now, I love it. The Jewish tradition has this, or in the Jewish tradition, they have something called midrash. And uh, we have all the words of the stories um, that that are on our our Bibles and in the printed page. And they say, but if you notice around all the words, there's a lot of white area, a lot of blank spots. And midrash is, you know, what could have happened around just the words we have? What's the story that happens there? And so this is my midrash on the story of of Jesus um, feeding the the, the 5,000. So if you can imagine, it's been a great day. Right? Jesus has been out there, he's preaching the word, people are saying amen, they're responding. It's been a great day and no one wants to leave. And he's been preaching all day long about God's kingdom, about God's love for them, and about how um, change was going to be brought along. And it becomes late in the day and, and Jesus' disciples, they're pretty stoked and excited. It's just like they followed the right teacher, right? This is the one. This, is, this actually, he, he could be the Messiah, the one they've all been waiting for. And Jesus, um, or or the disciples go and counsel him, say, hey, Jesus, it's pretty late. And, you you know, um, we're kind of out here in the countryside, maybe we're like Woodstock was, you know, outside of of any town really. And said, "Um, no one's had anything to eat really today. And um, maybe we should send them off and say, hey, go get some food and come back for the evening session, right? And Jesus turns to them and says, well, we're all having a good time here. Why don't you feed them all? And the disciples are like, oh yeah, that Jesus, he, he's a kidder. <laughs> Good joke, Jesus. Okay, like, like really, I think it's about time we, we send them off and then tell them what time they should come back. Uh, may, maybe we just cancel this for the day and have them come back tomorrow. And Jesus turns to them and says, no, really. Why don't you feed them? They're like, Jesus, really? You want us to feed them? Are, are, are you serious? Well, Let's go and see what maybe we can round up. And most of us know the rest of the story. They go out and all they do is they find one child who hadn't eaten his food. Maybe this child is caught up in hearing what Jesus had to say as well. And just had a couple loaves of bread and a couple fish. And Jesus said, well, bring those to me. And he prays over it. And they start distributing the food. And it says over 5,000 men were fed. So if we include the children and the women as well, there might have as well been twelve to fifteen thousand people that were fed from this person. But if we think about it, there's been a lot of other are you serious moments for the disciples as well. Jesus seemed to be filled with them. We just heard the story of this blind man who's screaming out to be heard. And Jesus stops everyone and says, no, we're going to stop. And I want to listen to them. And his disciples are probably saying, hey, you have thousands of others behind you. Are you serious? You want to stop for this one person? And yet Jesus does that. Or when lepers come to Jesus, they're the untouchable. But what does Jesus do? He touches them to bring them healing. Or Jesus has the audacity to heal Someone and say, hey, stand up, pick up your mat and walk. But oh no, it was on the Sabbath. And people were saying, are you serious? You're actually going to do that? Heal someone on the Sabbath day? And even in his teachings, a lot of his teachings went something like that. You know what? If someone beats you up and wants to take your coat, give them a second one. If someone asks you to walk a mile with them down the road, go the second mile with them. The disciples, I think, a lot of times said, Are you serious? And Jesus said, Absolutely. And maybe he didn't even have to say it. The people knew that they were, or that he was. You know, recently I was um, catching up on Celebrity Undercover Boss, one of my favorite shows, and uh, it just happened to be uh, one I hadn't seen yet from last season, it was about prime time. Any football fans out there? Yeah, prime time. He was one of my heroes growing up, number 21, played for the Falcons, the Braves, and sadly the Dallas Cowboys, but we'll forgive him for that. And so primetime, Deion Sanders, one of the best cornerbacks in the Hall of Fame, Uh, a a little thing I I learned from Undercover Boss, the only one who hit a home run and scored a touchdown in the same week. And so that's one of his claims to fame. Anyway, he he went undercover um, in in some parts of Dallas. Uh, And it's not really about primetime, but I want to share about the three people, the lives that he touched. The first was a coach who owned a landscaping business, but also ran a youth team. And for this team, like, he went out and and helped them practice and play a game. And uh, this coach talked about, about the fact that, you know, it's not just about this game of football, but it's about us. We're a community. We're a family together. And when they break, they all have a meal together. And the coach explains, you know, for some of these kids, this might be the first meal that they've had today. Or the reality is for the other half of the kids, this might be the last meal that they have for the day. And there is this connection of, hey, not only do I want to provide you a community as a family um, on this football youth team, but we're going to provide food for you. then the second coach that that he he met um, was a young African-American woman working as a coach and teaching at a school in North Dallas. And this coach, she shared about how, um, like out of her own pockets, she bought the uniforms needed for her players. But for her, it wasn't just about coaching, and she was an excellent coach. It was at the end of the practice, she'd say, hey, and look at all of them. How many of you need help with your homework? How many of you need tutoring? Whatever you need, I'll be there to help you. There wasn't just a sense of, hey, I want you to be a better football player. I want you to know that you're gonna be taken care of. Then finally, the third person that Dion Primetime meets, was a homeless man, and it was at this interesting, um, interesting uh, program. It was at it, it was Pre- a Presbyterian church. I know that was housing it because I saw that on the video. But it was called the um, Dallas Street Choir. They invited those out on the street to come together, and they'd practice singing, and, and they would actually go and perform a, a, a concert. So homeless folks being gathered together to perform music. And he was talking with one of the volunteers for this program and you'd think a volunteer probably would look a little bit like us, right? Someone going down there to help others. Yet this volunteer that that Dion um, came across shared his story and he said, "Um, Yeah, I'm homeless as well. I live under the bridge down the road and not only that, I'm a student working on getting my, my degree at college. And yeah, it's a little bit weird. You know, I carry my sleeping bag with me and I, I go to class and, and people kind of just know that, that this is who I am, but this is what I, I want to do. And, and part of what I feel called to do is to come volunteer and help out with this choir as well. And I'm a sucker to cry. And so is Dion, I found out. He was in tears as he heard this story. But in all these stories, it was clear to me that there is this Sometimes a disconnect that needs to be changed to a deeper connection. As we talk about wanting to share good news, and as, of course, an undercover boss, it's not just about share, it's about bringing good news, but following that up with some kind of action. And Dion helped each of these people in a special way and was a blessing to them. sometimes things as a church, we could learn from prime time, we could learn from undercover boss, we can learn from other places because if we want to truly share the gospel, if we want to bring change in God's kingdom and starting right here in Dearborn and, and in the United States, then we need to start with one person. If a brother is in need, but we have no pity... God's love does not abide in us. You know what, we all have something that we can share materially. I think the fact that we're here this morning, we probably have excess food, we have pantries full of it. Each of you probably drove a car here. And if you didn't drive, you have a car. Each of us has shelter. Most of us, if we look in our wallets, we have cash or credit cards or a checkbook. We have physical things that could help other people. But what about maybe some even some more abstract things that we might have that we could share that are material and possessions of ours. Some of you out there might have a job lead for someone. Someone might have a favor you can call in on behalf of someone else. That's what happened when Paul wrote the letter to Onesimus for Philemon. Some of you might have a network, either a business network or a, a, a charity network uh, that, that you could let someone into. And you might be able to share those names. And going even deeper, I think we all know that we have communities that we can share. Maybe even this community right here that gathers each Sunday and at other times. We also have The ability to be a friend to someone. For some of you out there, maybe what you could do is mentor a younger person who wants to learn. Who wants to grow from the wisdom that you have gained through your years. So what is it that we have as Christians? What possessions do we have? What provisions do we have where we can help starting with one person? Well, I think even before we can figure that out, we have to figure out what's our good news? What's your good news? What's your gospel story? Really, it starts with asking us, why do we follow God? Why do we bother coming to worship each and every Sunday morning? Why do we let God send us out? into the world and I think for some of you this community might be a place where you know you belong and that's a powerful thing and you might be able to share that for some of you following Jesus gave you a hope for the future of where you might end up and for others of you you know your faith is about hope for today the present and what God is calling you to do. For others, maybe your gospel story is knowing that you are forgiven because in those quiet moments, you know what a wretch you really are. Now, some of you might have faith and might, your good news story is the fact that you're given a purpose in life. Your faith drives you. And for others, your gospel story might be, you know, in the Bible, it gives you uh, the, the rules to live by so you don't have that penalty flag thrown at you. And you know that you would be way off somewhere if you didn't have the rules to guide you in your life. Now I know others of you just have this deep passion within you to share God's love. And that's what the good news is. So what is that gospel story that you have to share with someone else. I believe that someone or probably more than someone is out there that needs to hear your gospel story. That needs to hear your good news of what Jesus what your faith means to you. But how can we share that if we haven't earned the right to be heard. You know, we need as Christians to earn this right to be listened to, to share our stories. Many of us are willing to share our stories, but if we're not having pity on others, then that story goes on deaf ears. You know, there's a couple stories, and one was my mom. She was a small child, grew up right after the, the or World War II, and um, was. Um, during the Korean conflict, the Korean War, uh, they, they were displaced. And it was actually one of her older sisters who took her to a Bible camp set up by missionaries. Uh, and, and, and she first heard about Jesus through, through these missionaries at this Bible camp. And she loved the stories, but the reason she went to these Bible camps was because of the food they provided. The games that the kids got to play were in a war-torn country there was, that, that just didn't happen. And so she was able to hear about Jesus because of the fun, the games that the missionaries provided. There's a story of a friend of mine, Roger Nishioka. Some of you may have heard him uh, in, at one point or another, but he shares the story of his father, who the only reason he was allowed to go to a Presbyterian church was because as a child, um, his family was put in internment camps. And it was while literally there waiting in line, getting, being ready to be shipped um, from the coast in Seattle to, to a camp inland, uh, somewhere in Idaho or, or Dakota, that Presbyterian women came and gave sandwiches to those Japanese immigrants and families. And so it was years later after the war when they could return home. When someone asked, hey, my friend invited me to go to camp. His grandmother told his father, what church is it? Oh, the Presbyterian church? Yeah, those Presbyterians, they're good people. They fed us sandwiches. Yes, you can go. And his father became an ordained minister, and and so did he. You know, when we work with the homeless, and I have a heart for the homeless, it's really hard for them to hear any good news if they're not fed, or they haven't taken a shower in weeks, or they don't know where a bed for them will be that night. And so those are good things that we can provide. But going even deeper, I think sometimes we can do even more. Now how many of you have been down to 4th Street Open Door Ministries? Has this church? Yes? And I'm sure, um, sure if you haven't had an opportunity, please go, go make that a, a priority at some point in your life. But I know whenever I've taken youth or my church down there, um, I hate being the one who who needs to stand behind the line and serve the food. And so I usually request, we don't want that job. We want the job going out and and just picking up trash, um, asking folks if they need anything. Uh, Because believe it or not, for a lot of homeless folks, what they want more than the food, and they are there for the food, is they just want someone different to talk to. They just want to have a conversation. You'll be amazed at how willing they are to ask you questions about who you are, and, and they'll share tidbits of their life, uh, w- w- which might blow your mind. I had one octogenarian who, who loved to tell the story that, that she was doing this once, and while she's out there serving at, at Open Door, um, she got a marriage proposal. <clears throat> it's amazing what might happen when we go even deeper. And even just provide and listen, even as we heard earlier about how Jesus was willing to listen to that man who is crying out. You know, one of my um, uh, deepest moments was when I was serving um, a largely homeless community um, at L.A. County USC Hospital um, at, doing my chaplaincy work for, for three or four months. And I remember one person, <clears throat> I had come and seen him a couple days before and he, he was just looking for a nurse to get him a, a cup of water. And for those of you who work there, um, you you know, uh, we can't actually give them anything unless a nurse says it's okay. And so I'm like searching the floors and saying, hey, this poor guy, he he just wants something. He's coughing. He just wants a cup of water. And I don't know if I could give it to him. And I spent maybe 10 minutes trying to track down a nurse. And and finally, a nurse said, yeah, he's cleared. You can give him water. And I brought him a cup of water. And then we didn't really have a conversation. After that, he kind of fell asleep. And I didn't think much more about that. And then a couple nights later, I was doing my rounds, and he sees me. And he calls me over, and it's in the middle of of dinner time, and, and he invites me to sit down. And he offers me some of his food off his hospital meal. And I declined, and he said, well, please, just sit down. And I just sat there while he ate in silence. I don't know anything about this gentleman. But after about 15 minutes of just sitting there in silence, him eating, he just said thank you. And that's all he wanted to do. And for me, that has always stayed with me. All he wanted was someone to eat a meal with. So we need to earn the right to be heard. What are ways we can do that? You know, food is a great place to start. Any kind of food ministry seems to, to invite conversation. Uh, I know Chris shared, and I know Mike shared a lot about Converge and the ministry he does. And some of the things he does, you know, in giving rides, helping people find cars and transportation, um, connecting them with folks. That's a great way that, that Mike has earned the right to be heard and to share the good news that he has. What about with your neighbors? How many of you have ever offered to help your neighbors? You know, as a Christian thing, that's a good thing, right? Helping our neighbors. But what about the flip side? How many of you have been vulnerable enough to go to your neighbors and say, you know, I need help? When we make ourselves vulnerable, that invites others into conversation. So when we look around the world today, I sometimes wonder, what are the needs that are around? And of course, there's some big needs. You'd think in the 21st century in one of the richest nations in the world, um, that food wouldn't be a need anymore. Yet, when we look around, we knew we know food insecurity is still an issue for today. We know that education is a huge need, whether we're talking about right here in Detroit and the Detroit school system, or whether we we think about being abroad. And I'm going to share a little bit more about Pakistan and Presbyterian mission work in Pakistan, where education is a huge focus. You know, that's a need people need, and if we provide that, it earns us the right to be heard. What about the need of community, of belonging? I think that's a need my generation truly wants and treasures, authentic community. And we do it differently than the older generation, but that need is still there. We might ask, what are some of our specific needs of those around us? And I can't answer that for you. Guess what? You have to go to your neighbor. You have to have a conversation with your coworker. You have to have or or be bold enough to ask your friend, you know, what is your spiritual need? Or what is your physical need? Or how can I pray for you? Or what's going on in your life? What's one way I can share God's love with you? If we want to specifically help someone, we have to know what specifically we can do. There's so much out there in the world that people think, if I have this need fulfilled, then my life will be okay, will be complete. Franciscan monks used to think that there are three things that would deter them from following God. And so they took, um, they, they took their vows. And the vows were of obedience. Of celibacy, and of poverty. Because what's the opposite of those three things? Power, sexuality, and wealth, money. Those three things could deter us from God. And I think if we look at the world around us, the world promotes those three things hugely, saying you'll find your fulfillment in these three things. But I think greater than these three things is something that we have to offer. And that is our identity. That each of us is a child of God. You are God's sons and daughters. And that is a message that I think each and every person who doesn't know God needs to hear. That they are a beloved child of God. And that in knowing that, that will fulfill their deepest needs. You know, there are a lot of needs to be filled in the world. But I want to remind you that as a church, we're not social workers. And as a church, we're not the government who needs to provide certain provisions for people. Now, we do do social work, and we do work to help our government see the needs of other people. But the reason we do this, the reason we provide for the needy, the reason is because we have good news to share. And we know that Jesus fills the biggest need of all, our need for a Savior, a Messiah, a Deliverer who restores our relationship with God, making us God's children. And each person in this world is someone God wants as his child. Brothers and sisters, this is incredible news for anyone. This is incredible news for everyone. This is God's mission for us. As the choir beautifully sang, for God so loved the world that he sent his son for us that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. God sends his son for us and his son Jesus Christ sends us to the world as an act of love. So let us be a sent people proclaiming the good news, protecting the vulnerable, and providing for the needy, the broken, the hurting. Amen. Let us stand together and affirm what we believe using words from the confession of 1967.
1: Friends, brothers
0: and sisters in Christ, as you go from this place, go seeking to see where you might be able to provide for someone in need and earn the right to be heard so you might be able to share God's love with them.